Welcome, welcome to the In God She Trust podcast with your host, Kitri Cooper. And I hope that you guys had, you know, a great start to your new year. Last week, I released the episode on what our um, word of the year is, which is closeness. And um, I gave the scripture, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, sinners, and, um, you know, don't be double-minded. And I was kind of thinking, I was like, okay, Lord, what's next? What's that next step in order to draw close to you? What is something that um, I need to do, that we need to do, that the church needs to do in that first step in order to understand you and how to get close to you? And he said, my people need to know and understand what the fear of the Lord means. They need to understand that fear of the Lord is not the idea that we get when we think fear, right? When, when someone says the word fear, I think of like scary movies. I'm terrified, bad emotion, scary things, bad people, villains, you know, stuff like that. And I looked up the the two definitions um, that Google gave me because, you know, you, you, everything is Googleable nowadays. And so these are the two definitions of fear that Google gave me. One, the first one is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or threat. And then the second one was to be afraid of someone or something as likely to be dangerous, painful, or a threat. That is what we think of when we hear the word fear. And the Bible, all through scripture, there, there's like this saying that says, you know, fear the Lord or fear of the Lord. And it, that never really made sense to me as a kid because I just equated fear with scary, bad, villain, gross things, right? Um, but that's not what it means at all. Okay. Um, the what it's talking about fear in the biblical term the hebrew word that we get for the phrase of fear of the lord is yira i think i'm pronouncing that correctly but that's the hebrew word for fear of the lord is yira which also translates into the word awe which is the root word that we that we get for awesome and that is also can mean um, respect, reverence, worship, etc. Right. So I want you to think of a time the last time you have been truly in awe of something. I remember um, I went to Rome about six years ago, and Italy is just absolutely breathtaking. It's beautiful, and it's and it's very interesting to me because you will have pieces and structures of history that are thousands of years old. And then you'll look next door and there's like a Prada store or a Chanel store or a McDonald's. It's so weird to me that, you know, you have the modern next to the historic and it's, it's pretty incredible. But I remember, um, it was my first full day in Rome. And of course, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, I'm just kidding. When in Rome, you have to go see the Colosseum. 
And it's this huge, huge structure, even by today's standards, is this huge structure. You know, it's a little bit in ruins. It's obviously because it's thousands of years old. But um, when you walk in, and you're surrounded by the pillars and the walls, I couldn't just help but like remember these were the places that the disciples stood. This is like on the same ground that Paul went, right? Because I went with the church and we went through um, Italy on like the tour that Paul had taken and it was just absolutely amazing. And I, I was just immediately given thought to the people that, walked through the Colosseum, you know, the Romans, the Christians, everything. And then you walk into the arena and there's this, I mean, if you know the history behind the Colosseum, it was, um, it was a place of murder for Christians. And it was one of the really big, um, pieces of entertainment where people would be put into the the floor of the Colosseum and, um, you know, gladiators would fight to the death or Christians would be put out there and the lions would be um, released and um, would devour the Christians and kill the Christians. And it was one of um, a really grotesque way of um, persecuting Christians. And you just walk in there and you're just kind of in awe. But I remember in the Colosseum, I still have a picture of it, at the entrance of it, there is this huge cross and it serves as a reminder to what the Christians went through in the Colosseum um, and what it, it meant for them to be a Christian back then, which meant persecution and death. And I mean, all but one of the disciples were murdered because of, of following Christ. Only one, you know, wasn't um, martyred. And so that was something that I just felt in complete awe of it was being in the Colosseum in Rome and that I, I could still, um, you could feel the fear in that place. Um, but you could also just feel the power in that place. Rome was just an unstoppable power back then. Right. And then, you know, you might've been in awe when you see places like the Grand Canyon or you just, you know, come to Wyoming and you go up into the the foothills and in the mountains and you see all these amazing lakes and stuff and you're just in awe of the the sheer beauty of of creation. And then um, I'm just going to get silly here for a second. I was, you know, scrolling through my phone the other day and I came across a video of the Bello sisters on America's Got Talent. Just look up a video of them. You will be in awe of what they do. It's insane. Um, you know, so I'm, you know, just something that took your breath away or, um, that just rendered you speechless, right? Something that is just kind of out of the ordinary, just something that's really hard for us to wrap our brain around, right? That's what we're talking about being in awe of something. And so that's, I think, a really first place that we need to do is that we need to make sure that we stand in awe of our Father. We have to stand in awe of the Lord. He he wants us to draw near to him so he can draw nearer to us still, right? And so when we look at that verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, we have to be the first persons to take the first step, right? 
He will draw near to you, but we have to be the ones to take that first initial step towards him. Because like I said last week, he's not going to, you know, um, overpower us or force himself on us, but he wants to be in relationship with you probably more so than we would ever want to be in relationship with him. His yearning for a relationship with us far outseeds our greatest desire to be in relationship with him because he is just greater than, than anything in this world. And so he, he wants to be so close to us, but he doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be third. He doesn't want to be fourth. He doesn't want to be 15th in the list of people that you're close to. He wants to be first. He, he doesn't want to be behind your husband. He doesn't want to be behind your wife. He doesn't want to be behind your kids. He doesn't want to be behind your career. He doesn't want to be behind whatever you could possibly think is, is more important. And I know sometimes um, we, we get into the flesh and we kind of get into this mindset of, well, my kids are here and now I can touch them, right? They're tangible. But if we put our kids or our husband or our career or money or our family or anything above God, we are putting our priorities out of whack. And when we are not in priority number one with God, everything else does not fall into place. And I can just attest to that, that every time that I have put something else above God, that the rest of my life just seems to fall apart and fall apart quickly. And whenever we put something above God or before God on our priority list, that makes him jealous. And I know that's another really negative word that we think, um, is, is bad is to, to be jealous of, but I want you to think of this. So for say like, you're, you're married and, um, you have a husband and, uh, let's say you're, you got all dressed up, you're going out to a fun evening or whatever. And, um, you, you look over and, um, some other woman is hitting on your man or some man is hitting on your woman, you know, put whatever scenario is there. Okay. And, um, it's not just like a little conversation. Let's say this person is just all over your spouse flirting it up, being almost obnoxious with it, right? You're going to look over there and you're going to be jealous because you're like, um, excuse me, that's not yours. That's mine. That is somebody that I made vows with. That is somebody that I promised to love forever. That is somebody that I'm in covenant with. You don't get to be all over that and try to pull their focus from me to you right? And so that's kind of how we have to look at the father is whenever something is above him, he looks at it like, um, that thing did not create you. That thing did not knit you together in your mother's womb. That thing does not love you as fearful, as fiercely and as wonderfully as I do. And that is kind of exactly the, 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 the mindset that we have to put ourselves in is like, yes, God is jealous for us and over us because he is the only thing that is worthy to be worshiped first and foremost. He is the only thing worthy to be worshiped ever. Anything else that we worship is an idol and that is clearly unbiblical and not a good thing to be having in our lives. But he wants us to be first and foremost because number one, he knows you better than you know yourself. I know a lot of times we think that we know what's best for us, that we think, oh, well, this has definitely got to be the way for me, but we don't. Without the Holy Spirit and without the discernment of the Holy Spirit, if we walk our ways the way that we think we, we're going to go, we 10 out of 10 times, it's not going to be as good as what God has for us. And um, if you have your Bible, um, I want you to turn with me to Psalm uh, 139. 
I, I love the book of Psalms. And so um, the book of Psalms is written by David, um, and he is known after, as the, God, the man after God's own heart. Um, not a perfect man, of course, but the man after God's own heart. And I just want you to kind of get an idea of how God sees you, right? So Psalm 139 verses 17 through 19 says, God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. I just want to kind of meditate on that and let that soak in and sink in for a little bit that God's precious thoughts to us outnumber the grains of sand in the world. And that's just crazy to think about that his, his precious thoughts outnumber every single tiny little grain of sand on the earth. And I like to Sometimes, you know, we, 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 we've read these verses over and over and over again that they, they, they don't kind of have an impact on us anymore, that we kind of just go, oh, yeah, he thinks good thoughts about me, whatever. No, I want, I want us to really get this. And so I kind of did some research. I kind of went all nerdy, right? And I was thinking, okay, how, how, what does it look like, grains of sand? So if you just were to grab a handful of sand on the beach there is an average of 10,000 grains of sand in one handful, which is more than the number of stars that we can see in a single night with the naked eye. So just think about that, that when you just grab a handful of sand, there's more grains of sand that you're holding in your hand than there are in the night sky that you can see. And God's amazing, lovely, and pure thoughts about you outnumber 10,000. Then if you were to look at, say, one square foot and you were to cover just one square foot with sand, that would take roughly one million grains of sand in order to cover one square foot. And God's thoughts of love and peace and joy toward you outnumber one million just to cover one square foot. And then if you were to go to one cubic foot, it takes one billion with a B I totally did the Donald Trump like finger billion, billions upon billions, right? But it takes about 1 billion grains of sand to cover one cubic foot. That's just insane to me. And we've only just covered a, a tiny, tiny little amount, 1 billion. And, and God's thoughts about us that are lovely and pure still outnumber that. Well, and I was like, all right, let's go further. How many grains of sand does typically the average one beach have? And I was not ready for the number. <laughs> so <clears throat> one beach has an average of 8.83 to 10.87 trillion grains of sand on one beach. And Psalm 139 says that his pure and beautiful thoughts about you outnumber Every grain of sand there is. That is powerful. That is beautiful. And so then I was like, you know what? I can't even stop there. What would it look like if I spent almost every single second in my life thinking a good thought? What would that look like? So first of all, I was like, okay, well, what is the average lifespan 
of humans in the world. And the average worldwide lifespan is 71 years, which I still think is too young, but that is the worldwide lifespan is 71 years. So if from the moment you were born to the moment you died in 71 years, if you thought a good thought about, let's say your mom, every single second for 71 years, you would only still get 2,240,543,000, or sorry, 2,240,543,592 thoughts in, which does not even cover or come close to one beach. It, that maybe covers two and a half cubic feet. I'm 28 and a half years old. So that means I have only lived 902,278 seconds. So I'm not even near, near close to that. And that's if we thought a good thought about somebody every single second of every single day until we were 71 years old when we died. That number, 2 billion, doesn't even come close to one beach. And God's thoughts go further than every single grain of sand. And that is just absolutely beautiful. And to me, that's not somebody to be afraid of. That's not somebody to fear in the way that we think fear, right? Sorry, I still like have a cold. Um, The King James Version for Proverbs 29, 11 says... um, Wait, what? Jeremiah, not Proverbs. Just kidding. I was looking, I looked up Proverbs. I was like, um, that's not what I want. Jeremiah 29, 11 in the, the King James Version says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil and to give you an expected end. So every thought he has for us is for peace and not of evil. So why would we be scared of somebody who thinks such good thoughts of love and peace about me? We shouldn't fear him in the way and look at him in the way that he's a villain because he's not. The, the scriptures say that um, every good and perfect thing comes from the father and that he can do no wrong. He can do no evil. He cannot lie. He cannot make a mistake. Um, and so we have to understand that fear of the Lord means recognizing who he is first and foremost. A lot of times I'm, I'm, you know, I I can make this mistake where, um, when I go before God, I just look at him as, Oh, he's, he's, he's my dad, right? Cause he's known as our father. Um, or, you know, it's also said in scripture that he is our friend. And so sometimes when I go before the Lord, um, I forget who I'm dealing with. Like, yes, he is my father. Yes, he is my friend. But I have to realize that he is the creator of earth, heaven, skies, universe. That he is so powerful that he just merely spoke everything that I see today into existence. And everything that he spoke into existence was perfect and detailed and intricate. I mean, the spider um, produces like 
stuff on his feet that he doesn't stick to his own web and that every, um, I came across a video that's like, God didn't have to make every person's laugh different, but he did, right? We don't all have the same laugh. You don't, we don't always have the same voice and that everything that we see is different, but it's intricate and it's perfectly made and it's just beautiful. And so we have to get, we have to understand, um, why he is deserving of the utmost respect. And I was thinking of different examples. And one of the people that comes to, to mind is, is Moses. And there's a, a spot in Exodus uh, 13, 12, and Moses is asking the Lord um, to show him his face. Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead these people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if indeed, if I have found favor with you, please teach me your ways so I will know you so that I will find favor with you. Consider this, consider that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And I love what Moses says in verse 15. I love this posture. It says, if your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from there. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished from all this, from all the other people on the face of the earth. He's saying, Lord, because you have said you are mine, you will make us look different from everyone else on the face of the planet. And he was saying, I, wherever your presence goes, I want to go. If you don't go there, please don't make us go without you because we need you to distinguish us. That it, uh, you, We need you to make us different from everyone else. And that is exactly what following the Lord is supposed to do, that his presence goes with us and that wherever he goes, we go. And if he doesn't go there, we don't get to go there because with him, he is what makes us different from everyone else because we have a covenant and a promise with him that in him, we are different. We are, we are set apart. We are consecrated and made sacred from any other person on earth. And I just love that posture that Lord, uh, that, that Moses took to the Lord. And then in verse 17, the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. And then the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face cannot be seen. That is how powerful God is, is that if Moses looked upon the face of the Lord, he would drop it at an instant because the power and the glory of the Lord is so big and so great that our fleshly broken bodies could not bear the sight of it. And so when when God showed Moses his glory, God had to cover Moses's face with his hand until he was at his back because the mere sight of his face would, would have killed Moses. That is the power of the God we serve, and that is a God that we are supposed to revere and respect. A lot of people got to meet um, uh, Queen Elizabeth before she died, or um, you know, they, when, when people meet royalty, they are, um, they're like 
given a lesson pretty much or given a lecture on how you walk in, how, who you address, who, whom you address first, what you say, what you do, how you shake hands, how you, um, how you curtsy, how you do this. And it's not because, um, you're supposed to be scared of that person, but it is a, it's a way of showing respect to the queen, right? Especially when you, you, when you met the queen, um, it's like, this is how you show respect to this person of high power and high leadership. It's not some, you know, it wasn't, it's not something to, to laugh at or to, to gawk at. And I know, you know, we've all probably, a lot of people have seen, you know, the Meghan Markle thing and, you know, she made, she made a mockery of that and it wasn't because of, of rules and, you know, just to kind of like put people down below them, but it was, it was a show of honor and respect. So if we were, if we were to, to meet the, the King of England now or whatever, um, their due, their due respect, how much more is our father in heaven due respect than just the Royal family in England? way, way more. And so that's something that I kind of had to wrap my head around. It's like, okay, if, if I had to treat, say the queen of England, if I ever got to meet her, whatever, this is exactly what I would do to show her respect and honor. How much more when we go before the father, do we have to have that honor and respect and reverence? Um, and then looking into another example in the Bible, um, it was actually, still with the idea with Moses, but it was actually a couple, um, a couple chapters beforehand. And it was when the glory of the Lord, um, was being shown to the people of Israel. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Exodus 19 and we're going to kind of look at what happened with when, when people actually ran in fear, like a scary fear of the Lord instead of being in awe. So Exodus, we're going to read Exodus 19 verses 1 through 20. And it says, In the third month from the very day the Israels left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, I don't know if I, have, if I pronounced that correctly, and came to the Sinai wilderness and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain, so in front of Mount Sinai. Moses went up the mountain to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I want to stop right there. God wants to bring you out of captivity, out of slavery from whatever you're bound to. And he wants to bring you to himself because he is the thing that thinks lovely thoughts about you. He is the person that knows what's best for you and can love you back to life and can take and break those chains off of you. He wants to bring you into the wilderness so he can bring you to himself. So if you're in a time where you feel like you're, you're wandering around in the wilderness, it is because God is wanting to bring you to himself and to love you and to build you up and to edify you. Okay. Don't be afraid of the wilderness. Don't be afraid of those hardships because in those moments is where his, his strength is found in our weaknesses. Okay. Do not be afraid of the wilderness. Moving on to verse five, it says, now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all of the peoples. Although the entire earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nations. These are the, are the words you are to say to the Israelites. So here he's saying, if you listen to me and you keep my covenant, if you, if you do what I tell you to do, if you keep my laws, you will be my possession out of all of the people. So he's saying, I'm going to make you sacred. 
I'm going to set you apart from every other person and every other creature on this earth that when they look at you, they will, they will see something different. They will see the power of the Lord that is around them. Ooh, the Holy Spirit is preaching. I'm preaching and I'm not even a preacher, <laughs> right? I just, I love that. That's so powerful that he wants, he wants us. And so when people look at us, they see him. Verse seven says, after Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. Good job, Israel. That's the perfect thing to take. That's the perfect posture to take. Yep. We'll do anything that the Lord says. Perfect. Great. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported the people's words to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Consecrate means to make holy, to make sacred, to set apart, right? They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch the base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not to live, whether animal or human. So I want to stop right here. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to come onto the top of Mount Sinai on a cloud. And no one is to, supposed to touch that mountain because if they touch the mountain, the glory of the Lord um, is just too great for that person to bear. And, and when that person was supposed to be put to death, that they couldn't even touch that person, right? And it's, it's showing how much power and how much raw strength that the Lord has that we can't handle that. And if we disrespect that, that is something that is not good. We're not showing respect. We're not showing awe. We're not showing reverence. And so we have to make sure that we take that same posture that, that God is so powerful that no one can see his face or else we die. And then it goes down to say, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then they may go up the mountain. Then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. So they had to clean their clothes. They couldn't have sex. And it was because they were, they were, they were cleaning themselves in, in order to be holy and clean before the power of the Lord. Because once again, the Lord is so much bigger and so much better and so much greater and so much more powerful than we could ever wrap our minds around. And then on verse 16, it says, on the third day, when the morning came, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud blast from a ram, ram's horn so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Could you imagine? So like, just take, I don't know, just like whatever mountain, if you have a big mountain range around you, whatever, and that, you, you know, you cleaned yourself, you're ready on the third day, and then all of a sudden there's thunder, there's lightning, there's, there's, there's this huge cloud that came upon the mountain, and you know that that is the very presence of the Lord. I would be terrified, in a good way. I would be terrified, but still I'd be like, ah, uh, okay. I mean, just the sheer power of just thunder and lightning on its own, but knowing that that is the power of the Lord that is coming on top to sit on a mountain to talk to you. That's crazy. I love that. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. God was excited. He's like, yes, let me talk to my people. 
Let me be with my people. Let them hear my voice. He wanted to be near the Israelites. So Moses brought up the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Whoa. If you actually look up pictures of Mount Sinai today, the tip is still burned. It's still black. It's, um, it's, it's an amazing piece of physical evidence that we have that God is real and that his Bible is true. The, the, the tip, the highest point of Mount Sinai is still black to this day because it was enveloped in, in God's fire. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai. This is in verse 20. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. Then the Lord summoned Moses at the top of the mountain and he went up. The Lord directed Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die once again. If they break, if they broke through, the power of the Lord is just so strong. It would kill most of them or uh, many of them would die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out in anger against them. Meaning if they're not clean, if they come to me dirty and unholy, they're not coming to me with respect. They don't know who they're dealing with. Okay. Once again, this is not God being um, extremely anger, angry or, or evil or villainous. He's saying, you need to come to me with respect because my sheer power and holy, holiness alone would kill you. So you need to make sure that you're following these steps in order to make sure that you are safe. It's, 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 a, it's a form of protection, right? Verse 24 said, the Lord replied to him, go down and come back with Aaron, but the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord or he will break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is where the Lord um, gives Moses the 10 commandments. And what happens is um, the people see all of this they see the fire, they hear the thunder, they see the lightning, they see the cloud, they see the smoke, they hear the booming voice of the Lord. They understand that if they cross this threshold, they die because of, of, of whose power they're in the presence of. And um, instead of being like, this is so cool that the Lord wants to be able to speak to us and be near us, they do the complete opposite and they completely freak out. It says in Exodus 20 in the next chapter over in verse 18, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And then they said, you speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. They were so terrified of the power of God instead of um, thinking, oh my gosh, the power of this this being wants to be with us. They think, um, um, don't let him talk to us. Um, he can talk to you and then you can tell us what to do and, but then we'll be fine. But if you look further and you read further along in Exodus, they don't do well with that. Right. If you look, the Israelites do not do well without serious structure because they just kind of go off on their own thing. But that's what they say to Moses. You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. I find that really interesting that we're talking about the fear of the Lord, like fear of the Lord. And he's like, oh no, don't be afraid. But then it says, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him, fear him like 
so that you will respect him, that you will see who is for you, that whose presence will be with you, who will, who is the person that wants to set you apart and that you will not sin. So fearing him comes with not sinning. If you look in Proverbs, I want to say six. I'm pretty sure it's Proverbs six. Um, It talks about the things that the Lord hates. I'm going to look this up. Yes. Yep. I was right. Proverbs 6, 16 says the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Those are the things that God hates. God hates sin. He doesn't hate people. He hates sin because sin uh, means missing the mark. It's a, it's, I think it's an archery term if I'm not uh, mistaken. Sin um, is an archery term and it means to miss the mark. And so God hates all sin. And I know it's really crazy for us to kind of wrap our mind around that, but he looks at gossip the same way he looks at murder. He views a tiny little white lie or pride the same way we would view thievery or rape. Um, we like we like um, what I kind of think of as like um, categorized sin, where we've got the big sins, you know, the murder, the thievery, the rape, the you know, all of that stuff, and then we have like little sins that aren't as big of a deal to us, like gossip or slander or you know wh- what have you, right? But God views every single one the same way. And that's because regardless if it's a little white lie or a murder, we still don't hit the target. Whether we're off the target by a millimeter or we're off the target by a yard, we still miss the mark. Psalms 97.10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. That means all evil, including the evil that you do yourself. It's really easy for us to be like, oh, well, their sins are greater than mine. They sin way more than me. Their sins are way worse than mine. No, it says, if you love the Lord, you hate all evil, including the ones, including the the steps of evil that you do yourself. We really need to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable And I'm not saying that we are supposed to be perfect because as long as you breathe air, you're going to mess up. You're going to miss the mark. You're going to make a mistake. However, we don't get to pick and choose what evils we follow or what evils we push away. Point blank period. We have to uncategorize sin and put it all together because that's what the Lord does. Sorry. It, it, it's true. I know that might come out harsh or judgment, but it's the truth. And I was, I was guilty of that myself. So anything I say to you guys or anything that I, that I come on here and say, it is because the Lord is either teaching me currently or has already taught me in the past. I'm never going to speak on something that the Lord has not told me himself first or is leading me through or working with me through. And I, I lived for a, a long time in my own ways, but I figured, oh, well, I, I haven't murdered. I haven't committed thievery. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. So I'm okay. But he's like, nah, fam, you're still not living in obedience to my word. 
So you're still just as bad as the murderer. So the fear of the Lord is not to be scared of him. John Bevere has a really, really good saying. Um, and I, I, I don't exactly know it word for word, but I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the context to it. He says, the fear of the Lord is not being scared of him, but being terrified to be without him. When I heard that, that clicked in my brain that this is what the fear of the Lord means. That this being that is so glorious and powerful wants to be with me, that it does not matter what I go through in life. It does not matter what wilderness I'm in. It does not matter what spiritual battle that I am facing. If I have the Lord with me, I have everything I need. But if I do not have the Lord, that is something to be terrified of. There was a point in my life where the Lord was like, you can either choose this way or you can choose me. But if you choose this way, I will take my hand off of it and I will take myself out of it. And that is what, so I was like, Lord, I choose you then because I didn't care what it was at that point. I said, Lord, I can't be without you. So I will throw off anything else that I want just to be with you. And a lot of people say, oh, well, you have to give away everything you could ever want just to be with the Lord. That's narcissistic. That's abusive. That's No, because if we follow the Lord and if we step with him and we hold his hand and we let him lead us and we put him in front of us and that he is the one that leads us, he will give us the desires of our heart. He will bless us and pour out the blessings of heaven upon us with, when we walk in obedience with him. He's not some... Uh, some narcissist who only thinks of himself and everything else is everyone else's fault. He wants to give you everything that you could have possibly desired. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. And sometimes you don't even know what the desires of your heart are. He wants to bless you in ways that you could have never thought of. You could have never dreamed of. He wants to give you a life that you could have, you, even in your wildest imagination, you couldn't make it better than the one he wants to give you. but we have to know who we're dealing with and we have to understand how to go to him with respect and with reverence and to fear him, not to be scared, but because we don't want to be without him because his power with us and for us is better than his power away from us or his wrath against us. I have a really really good relationship with my mom. She's my best friend. I can tell her anything. I, I mean, we live in the same town and I call her probably twice a day, right? After I get done recording, I'm going to go up and I'm going to hang out with my parents. Um, and we have this really, really awesome friendship that we have built after I became an adult, right? Because you're not supposed to be friends with your kids while you're training them. You can be friends with your kids after they're out of your house, right? That's where that friendship grows. But, um, you know, she was, always a safe place for me growing up. And um, she was the person that I, I went to for everything. I still go to her for everything. Um, and so when I, when I started getting older and I was in my early 20s and we started um, getting this, you know, friendship relationship going, um, I started getting too comfortable and I forgot that she was my mom at, at some points. And, um, I remember one time we, we got in, in an argument and I think I was like maybe 22, 23. I can't remember. 
but we were, we got into an argument and I forgot that she was still my mom and that she still needed to be respected. And I can't remember what I said to her. I'm pretty sure I called her a very inappropriate name. Um, and oh my gosh, I, I think I was like 22, 23. And that woman lip flipped me so hard. And so let me explain. So my mama doesn't smack. She doesn't slap. She lip flips. And that's when she takes the back of her hand and she just kind of, you know, pop, pops you on the lip, but she doesn't like, it, it doesn't like the whole back of your, her hand doesn't hit you on the lips. It's just the tip of her fingers that just barely like sting the lip and it hurts so bad y'all. I mean, it's like, it stings your, your lips get red. You can feel the blood rush to the lips and you can just feel every heartbeat. I always joke. Um, I was like, if you want Angelina Jolie lips, girl, you don't need Botox. You don't need fillers. You just need my mama to come and just go pop, pop on the back of your lips. And you're going to have Angelina Jolie lips. You're going to have lips that Angelina Jolie wants. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not telling you this story to like make my mom look bad, but I totally deserved. I was like, I was so in the wrong. And she looked at me, she goes, I am still your mother. So I don't care how old you get. If you get out of line and you do not remember who I am, I still hold the, I still have the right to smack you if needed. Yes, ma'am. She was totally in the right. And yes, I have that really close relationship with my mom and she's one of my best friends, but she, I still have to understand who she is. She is the person that, that gave me life. Did anyone have mamas that'd be like, I brought you into this world. I can take you out and then I can make another one look just like you, right? She brought me into this world. She is the one who, you know, her, like her and my dad, obviously, but she's like, you know, I put, I put clothes on your back. I cooked you meals. I made you clothes. I've done all, you know, like remember and who I am and give me the respect that I deserve. And God has had to spiritually slap me a couple of times, honestly, because I got too comfortable. I got too lazy with my relationship with him. It's like, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. We're friends, whatever. But he's like, no, I am still king. And he said that to me one day and I had to repent. I was like, you know what? You're right. He is still king first. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I kind of touched on this, but like, how would you approach a king? He is king first, then he is father, then he is friend. And, and it, and it kind of takes some time getting to know him on how to put those three pieces together. Yes, he is my king. Yes, he is my father. Yes, he is my friend. And as, as I was preparing for this, he kept um, bringing a lion to my, to my memory. And I was writing notes down and he just kept saying, lion, 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 lion. I was like, okay, so what, what is this about? And he is known as the lion of Judah. And the lion is known, um, as the king of the jungle. Um, and it is because they have this fearlessness about them pure dominion, raw power, and strength. They're not the biggest animal in, in the safari, right? The elephant is clearly biggest. But when, 
when the elephant sees a lion approaching, there is a fear in the elephant that says, I got to get out of here. Um, I'm going to die pretty much, right? If he, if he decided to, to come after me, I'm dead, I'm gone, right? And it is just because if you have ever seen a video of a lion, especially the male lion, they walk with this presence about them of just sheer power and strength, confidence about them. Same with the, with the lionesses, right? The, the male lions are known as the best killers, but the female lions are known as the best hunters. They are extremely strategic in how they hunt. They're just very stealth-like about them on how they hunt. And I was just kind of looking into lions, and then I, I, listened, to, um, I listened to one of Lisa Bevere's sermons about lions and she just, whew, she does a great job, um, of, of kind of explaining this because she wrote a book called like lioness arising or something like that. Um, and, uh, she just re- does a really good job explaining about the lion, but God is known as the lion of Judah and the Holy Spirit or, or the Father, if we, if we have accepted him, that same lion lives in you. And so that, that same raw strength and power of our Father lives in us. But if you were to just put um, anything in, in a room with a lion, the lion wins. Hands down. And there are two animals in the Bible that the Father um, compares himself to, you know, one is the eagle. And then of course, second is the lion. And as I was researching more about the lion, um, I read that the lion is an apex predator and the eagle is also an apex predator. And what that means is they do not have any predators. They are the top of the food chain, right? They are not prey but they are the ultimate predator. They, they, they have no rival. They have no equal. That is why the elephant looks at the lion and runs. We serve the lion of Judah. That is our father and that is our king. If you put a human and a lion in the room, if you go toe-to-toe, with the Lion of Judah, you don't win. The roar of the lion can be heard five miles away. What's that song? It's, uh, it's called Lion from Elevation Worship. Go listen to that song. And in that song, it says, the lion has a roar. And when you, if you've ever heard the roar of a lion, it's terrifying. It's amazing. It's awe. It's, it's inspiring because it, it is the same roar that the Lord roars for us. It is that raw strength and power. They have no, he has no predators. He has no prey. He is the top of the food chain. He has no rival. So when we go before God, we have to understand that he is above us. A lot of times we like to think that we know better 
that we can do better, that the life we can create for ourselves would be better than God knows. But if you go toe to toe with the lion of Judah, you, you lose. The lion does have an enemy though. The only enemy that the lion has is the hyena. And that is because, um, number one, the hyena goes after the same prey that the lion goes after. And I, I look at, you know, the, the antelopes or the, the gazelles that, that the lion goes after, not as a way for, for God to devour people, but he's looking to, to bring them in, right? But the hyena wants to kill, destroy, and devour. And the hyena is also really known for going after the cubs of the lion pride. And the lions are the only cats that live in groups. And those groups are called prides. And it's really, really interesting because in the prides, the, the, all the other lions raise the cubs together. It's not like, oh, that's your baby. You do your thing. I do my thing with my baby. No, they raise all of the cubs together. They, they look after one another. They clean each other. And so um, Lisa Brevere uh, made a really good point in her sermon that she says, you know, they, if they clean each other, um, you know, it's a reflection on the entire tribe. So if one, um, if one lion is like really gross and dirty and matted, it's not because it's that lion's problem, but it's because it's the, the entire tribe uh, didn't do their job. And I thought that was so beautiful that if we see another person struggling in sin or if we see another person that's mangled and, and, and kind of broken who lives inside the church, it's not that person's fault, it's ours. That we need to go to that person and help clean them up and to be that servant, right? Um, but the hyena goes after the cubs of the pride. Satan is going after God's people like never before and just ruthless right? And so the, 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 the male lion is trying to, you know, run off the, the hyena and then the, it takes the female lion and she's coming and she just knocks out this hyena, right? That is exactly what God is doing. He is trying to knock out the devil, but we have to understand that one lion cannot do it alone in, in the pride that we have to be a pack and that we have to be together and that we have to rise up together. And we have to realize that we have a voice and we have a roar. That same lion that we serve is the lion that lives in us. And he is not a lion that lays dormant and lays sleeping, that he is a lion that has a roar and that we are supposed to use that roar. I uploaded a video a couple days ago on the In God She Trust page that I just keep hearing from the Lord. This is the year of the lion. we need to understand that we have a power about us and we have to recognize that we serve the lion of Judah. And so we need to respect him like if we were to be in the same room with a lion, knowing the sheer power and sheer strength and fearlessness that God has within him. So what, what does it look like to fear the Lord? And once again, I've been on a Bevere kick. I love John and Lisa Bevere. Oh my gosh. If you have not heard them, just look up any sermon on YouTube and they just speak with such power. But I listened to, um, a sermon that John Bevere gave on the fear of the Lord. And he, he gave five things that do a really good job of showing what the fear of the Lord looks like. 
And uh, the first one is to obey him instantly. You respect, know, and love him enough that when he tells you to do something, you do it without hesitation. I'm going to tell myself, I struggle with this. Doing something instantly um, is hard for me when it, when it comes to obedience. And it's not because I don't um, want to do it. It's because I want all the answers first and foremost. Please don't tell me I'm the only one like this. I am a planner and I'm an organizer. So if someone was is like, hey, I need you to do this for me. Okay, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to use a certain material? Do, do you want me to, do you want it done today? Do you want it done tomorrow? When do you want me to work on it? Do, do I need to go somewhere? Do I need to involve some people? I have questions, right? Because I want to be able to do a, a really good job. I want to make sure that I put my best foot forward. I want to make sure that I'm prepared. And so I have questions. So when the Lord tells me to do something, it's, it, that's something that I struggle with. Because I want to know the end result sometimes before I start. And one time I was praying and I was like, Lord, I want you to tell me what to do. I want you to tell me exactly where to go. I want you to tell me what's going to happen. I want you to, and he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. And I was like, um, excuse me. And this is one of those moments that I got spiritually slapped. He says, if you need a play by play for everything I want you to do and how it's all going to work out, you don't trust me and you don't have faith in me. There's no need for faith. If you get a play-by-play. Oof. Like I said, spiritually slapped. <laughs> okay. And so that is something that I'm still working on. I'm getting better on. And I know the Lord knows my heart and knows that I want to do, do well for him. But sometimes that hesitation is still do, disobedience. My mom always said, and my parents always said, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Because you still did it on your time. So the first thing is to obey him instantly. The second thing is to obey him, even if it doesn't make sense. I want you to do this. Why? What's the reasoning behind it? You know, once again, all those questions. The third thing is to obey him, even if it hurts. I want to I do the best that I can for the Lord. And I, and I feel in my spirit, I'm just being honest, I feel in my spirit like a big change is coming. And I know that with that change, I'm probably going to have to lay down parts of my life in order to obey God. And when you have to obey part of your life, it hurts. When you have to die to yourself, it hurts. When you have to pick up your cross, sometimes it hurts. But I have to understand and we have to understand that when he is asking for us to obey him, he already knows the end result. He knows what's going to happen. The fourth thing is to obey him, even if we don't see an immediate benefit. And then the fifth thing is to obey him to completion. There is one person in the Bible that did this so perfectly to, to God and just showed a perfect example of all five of those points that John Bevere gave us. And um, that is Abraham. And I know we've heard the story of Abraham before, but it, it really manifests itself um, in, the, in the story of when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And if you're, if you're kind of new to the whole Bible thing, um, Abraham 
was married was married to a woman named Sarah, and they were never able to have children because Sarah was barren. She was unable to conceive children, and um, God chose Abraham to be what we call like the father of the faith, right? Without Abraham and without his obedience, who knows where we would be today. But he chose Abraham. He says, hey, you're going to leave this place that you know. You're going to leave your home. You're going to leave your family. You're going to take your wife. And you're going to go to a place that I will show you. Once again, he didn't show him exactly where he was going to be. But Abraham said, okay. So he picked up. He moved. And he was going to this land that the Lord was going to show him. And then then the Lord gave him a promise. He gave him and Sarah a promise. He says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of the sand. And Abraham and Sarah, when God gave them this promise, if I'm not mistaken, they were like in their 90s. So the Bible says that Sarah was way past childbearing age. But he says, you're going to have descendants from you, from your bloodline that will outnumber the stars in the sky. And of course they're like, um, do we old? (laughs) Like, how is that going to happen? But it took like 20 some years for that, for that promise to be fulfilled. I think it was like another 20 years. And like in that 20 years, things get messy because Sarah was like, Hey, you promised this, but I haven't gotten pregnant yet. And then, you know, Abraham sleeps with like, um, Sarah makes Abraham sleep with like servants in order to get sons. But God's like, no, 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 no. You didn't understand what I said. You are going to have the child, Sarah. You're going to have Abraham's seed. You're going to have the the son. And so finally, Sarah gets pregnant and they, they have their firstborn son, Isaac. And this was Abraham's only son. And um, the scriptures say that he loved him more than anything because it was his, it was his, miraculous son. I mean, his wife had his son when she was in it, like in her, into her hundreds, like it, it was absolutely miraculous. And he just loved his son so much. And then, um, one day God says, Hey, um, your son, um, this is Genesis 22. Um, if, if anyone wants to go look uh, it's Genesis 22, um, verses 11, through, uh, I don't know, the end of the, the end of the chapter. Um, the, uh, and I'll just read it. It says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, he replied, here I am. They said, um, oh, sorry. Verse one, my bad. Verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. He answered, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will tell you about a burnt offering was a sin offering to cleanse the sin of the people. It says, so Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son, Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. We're just going to stop here. So in um, John Bevere's thing on what it looks like to fear the Lord. The first thing is to obey him instantly. The Lord told him, take your son to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. It said, Abraham got up early the next morning. So he was instant about it. Instant. He, he obeyed God instantly. And then it says that it took three days to get there. 
So yeah, it's cool that he obeyed him instantly, but he had time on that journey to be like, what? I mean, Lord, you, you, you promised that I was going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and all of this stuff, but, but that doesn't make sense. So the second thing is to obey him, even if it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to sacrifice your only son. The third thing is to obey him, even if it hurts. He loved his son. That was his only son, and the Lord was asking him to sacrifice him and give him back to the Lord. And then the fourth thing is to obey him, even if we don't see a benefit. So he didn't see a benefit to killing his only son. But he still went anyways. But I love what it says. Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey, the boy, and I will go over there to worship. And then we will come back to you. Abraham had faith in his Lord. He said, nope, you promised this to me. So even though this doesn't make sense, even though this is painful, even though this hurts and this doesn't have a benefit, I know that you are a God of promises. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, my father. And he replied, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac doesn't know. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I love this because he's like, he's going to provide. He is a God that provides. Even if it was his son, Isaac, he still provided the lamb for the sacrifice. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son, Isaac, and placed him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Then Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. So today it is called, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. And I think that is just the, the best way to look at what the manifestation of the fear of the Lord is. He obeyed him instantly. He obeyed him even if it didn't make sense. He obeyed him even if it hurt. He obeyed him even if he didn't see a benefit. And he obeyed him to completion. But then it was like the Lord was like, that was a test. And I, I, a lot of people are like, how could God possibly? God knew, God knew that there was going to be a ram. God already provided the lamb. God gave Abraham, everything he was going to need for that sacrifice, God knew that ram was going to be there. God put that ram to be there. He wanted to see where Abraham's heart was. He wanted to see, does he respect? Does he honor? Does he stand in awe of me enough to not withhold anything from me? And clearly, Abraham passed the test. And that is, that is the, 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 the posture that we have to take. But Abraham is also known as the friend of God. It says in James 2.2, 2, for if someone, oh, sorry, James 2.23, my bad. Uh, James 2.23 says, scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. After we fear the Lord, that's where we get that friendship. 
And it's because um, it says in, I believe in John 15, 14, it says, if we obey God, we become his friends. But it's only if we listen, if we respect, if we put him in reverence that, that we are considered his friend. And then Abraham was so close to God that God let him in on all of his plans. He told him what he was going to do with the city, Sodom and Gomorrah. And then and he took into consideration Abraham's opinion. And they were just so close because of that Abraham put so much respect into God. It says in John 15, 14, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. So he's saying, because you served me, because you did the will of the father, because you served your master well, you are now considered my friend. We have to remember that he is king. He is the lion of Judah, king of the jungle. Then he is our father. And if we respect and revere him enough, and then he is our friend. Walk with confidence knowing that the lion of Judah lives in you. Remember fear of the Lord. As John Bevere says, fear of the Lord is not being scared of him, but being afraid to be without him. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate you. Um, if, if you want to support this podcast, um, in, in any way, if you want to, if you want to support us or if you want to, you know, donate or whatever, um, and that's something that the Lord is laying on your heart to do. Um, just reach out to me, um, igstrust at gmail.com. Um, follow us on social media. Um, we're on Instagram. It's in God she trusts, but it's like in.god.she.trusts. It's kind of complicated. We still have the Facebook page open. I'm on TikTok. But I, I also, I, I love, I would love some feedback if you're liking how I'm doing this, you know, now that it's, it's me, I'm trying to find my footing. And so, um, feedback is, is welcome, um, both positive and, um, you know, constructive criticism. It's all welcome. So, um, please rate review this podcast. If something spoke to you, um, you know, send it to your friends, right? We're not supposed to just build um, ourselves up, but we're supposed to build each other up, right? We're in that pride. We're in that lion pride where we have to look after, raise, and clean, and take care of everyone in the church. So if, if something spoke to you, you know, send this to somebody else, and I hope that y'all have a really amazing week. I will be seeing you guys next week. See you later.